you haven't been here the last few weeks, we're doing a series on the Apostles' Creed. And uh, tonight, we're, last week, James uh, very helpfully spoke about, um, about suffered, crucified, died, and was buried. He got the cheery topic um, and talk about the difficult in between. Uh, I think what we do now, actually, Dave, can we put the Apostles' Creed up there? Uh, we'll just do the first bit. I'm not going to ask you to stand again because I think some of you look a bit tired. Bless you. Uh, but we'll say this together. And um, just so you know, um, you know, that in the, in the early church, actually, or not the early, early church, but a bit, well, we still could be the early church. Who knows? Uh, work that one out. But um, kind of once these creeds were put together, then part of someone's initiation uh, into the Christian faith was actually to memorize these creeds. They, they were taught the Lord's Prayer, so they knew how to pray. Uh, they were taught the Beatitudes, so they knew how to live. And they were taught the creeds, initially the Apostles' Creed, then the Nicene Creed, so they knew what they believed. And that's the reason why we're thinking about it. Uh, I, who, who does know this off by heart? Just two of you. Well done. Do we challenge you? No, let's do it together. So we'll say this together. And uh, this is, if this isn't your faith, don't say it. Don't kind of um, uh, cross your fingers um, and hope for the best. But we say this uh, together, so if this is your faith. So we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And if uh, next week uh, if you learn that and you come to me and you recite it perfectly, I'll give you a prize. It's like Sunday school, isn't it? Does anyone used to do that? We used to learn the books of the Bible and if we could do all of them, we used to get sweets. Um, I think that's kind of bribery. But, um, but tonight we're thinking, if you flip back, Dave, if that's okay, if we, we, tonight we're going to be thinking about uh, so the second slide on that uh, Apostles' Creed. Tonight, we're going to be thinking about on the third day, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and not so much, but uh, kind of, we won't cover this in detail, and he'll come to judge the living and the dead. And um, there's a lot in there, but I'm just going to pick out one thing uh, from that part tonight, which is actually um, those, the second part. So we believe in the resurrection, but what we don't talk much about is what we call the ascension. And uh, tonight, I want to think about he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the word, the written word that draws us to Jesus, the one who is the living word. <clears throat> and we recognize that we know something about him, but we pray that you would open our eyes to more tonight as we think about the ascension of Christ. And we make our prayer in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So, I have three sons, and, um, and when they were small, uh, we used to play a game called Who's the Daddy? Anyone ever played that game? Okay, I think maybe we just made it up in a house. But basically, the rules were very simple. We would have a mass bundle on mine and Anna's double bed, so there'd be the four of us, and, and either the three of them had to pin me down and make me submit, or I had to pin all three of them down at the same time and make them submit in unison, which I often did. Please don't phone up social services. And, and whoever was on top was the daddy, the one in charge. And uh, I was obviously, uh, is either going to be the father or the sons, uh, but generally, at, when they were smaller, I was the daddy. But then our boys got bigger. And uh, in time, I couldn't take on three of them. I could only manage two of them. And as they got bigger still, it would end with a one-to-one. And I remember uh, the last time we did this was when uh, our youngest son, Ben, um, who's a bit of a wuss, really, if you know him. <laughs> uh, well, if you don't know him, you'll know that's ironic. And, uh, and I, I remember one night, and he was 17, and he did a lot of working out, which I did too. <laughs> and we spent an hour wrestling in the corridor, each trying to make others, the other one submit. And you, if you know Anna, she's like, stop, 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 stop. But we did it. We kept on going. And, uh, and he beat me. So that, that was the end of that game. And now I'm old and grey and feeble and I'm getting smaller. You know, as you get older, your height kind of goes down. Uh, and they're all bigger than me. So two of them are six foot three and one six foot two, uh, we no longer play who's the daddy. Uh, because after all, each one of us in our family, we really know who is in charge in our house. And it's not me and it's not them. It's Anna. <laughs> not because she can beat us, but because she is the one who makes the best decisions. So we don't say who's the daddy, we just say you're the mummy and just go with it. Um, in, our, in our reading from Acts chapter 1, uh, which was written by a chap called Luke, it's actually all about who's in charge. It's about who is the daddy. But there's no wrestling going on. Because basically the ascension of Jesus, uh, which the global church celebrates once a year in around, Tim, you know, May time, uh, and uh, on a Thursday, so often it kind of passes us by. And if you're, uh, if you're from South Africa, you were telling me this recently, you used to have a bank holiday on Ascension Day. So if you're saying, yeah, that's what, never, it never really made it uh, to Britain really. But it's a key day in the life of the church. And it is all about um, God becoming king in Jesus. It's all about Jesus, as it were, becoming the daddy. And, and you could argue that actually the ascension is as important as Jesus' birth and his death. Birth, Christmas, death, Holy Week, resurrection, uh, resurrection Sunday. But we make a big thing of those festivals, but maybe not so much of the ascension. But it is a key part in the life of of Jesus, because it basically indicates that Jesus isn't just Lord over an individual's life because we've come to personal salvation, 
but actually it indicates that Jesus is Lord over the whole of the created order, over heaven and earth for all time and eternity. Um, if you've got a Bible, look at Matthew chapter 28. And uh, in that, we, we talk about often the Great Commission of Jesus. But when, before he gives them the Great Commission, I love these verses in there. In verses 17, he's got his disciples around him. So it's, it's not just uh, the 11, but there's other disciples as well. And it says that when they saw him, they worshipped him. And then it says, but some doubted. And what Jesus does then is he sorts out the ardent believers from the doubters. He says to the doubters, go down the hill. I want nothing more to do with you. He doesn't really, though, does he, if you know your text. What he says is to those who worshipped and those who doubted, he then turns and he gives them all a commission. But before he does that, which means he kind of takes all sorts of people, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has been given all authority over all things for all time. Other rulers may well come and go, but Jesus is in charge. And the ascension, uh, which often is depicted by uh, Jesus kind of disappearing off into the clouds. I'll never forget, I, I did an assembly when I was... Um, uh, a vicar back in just outside of Reading. Um, I, was, I was a governor of this local Church of England school and I used to go along and do assemblies and I went to do one on Ascension Day and I thought I'd take in a helium balloon and, um, and then what I'd do is I'd let the helium balloon off as an indication that Jesus has gone from earth up into heaven. So what we did is that we opened the door in the assembly hall which is about this big, all the kids were sat there watching, I talked about uh, uh, Jesus ascending up into heaven. I let go of the helium balloon, it goes along, a little bit of wind takes it, and it gets stuck in a tree. So I then had to adapt it and say, Jesus got stuck in a tree. But, uh, but, but it didn't go down really well. But, but basically, it's not just about uh, a helium balloon, a spaceman, as it were, going off into heaven a few miles up above our heads somewhere. But essentially, the ascension is all about Jesus entering in to another dimension of the created order. It's what you might call God's space. Um, if you think about, if you've ever watched The Lion, the Witch, uh, or, or read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know that there's a reality, but then they get to the wardrobe, and they go through the doors and out the back into another dimension known as Narnia. And in many ways, C.S. Lewis is trying to indicate that there is more to our life than mean, that, that meets the eye. And so this other uh, dimension is most definitely there. And at times, we see that dimension break into our dimension. This morning, if you were here, uh, we had the most amazing testimony from a, a lovely lady called Nina. Nina, um, 10 years ago, some of you will remember, uh, came to us, she became, gave her life to Jesus in prison, and, uh, and then she came out and, and she spoke about this this morning. Uh, she'd been a long time addict, uh, drug and alcohol. Her kids had been taken away from her. Life was a mess. And I mean, the list goes on really. And I remember when Nina first came and her journey has just been so dramatic. The latest is 10 years on, 
after giving her life to Christ and, and, you know, she's been near to death and back into drugs and all that kind of stuff. She's now been through rehab at least twice now. And she's now at Bible college and she's about to go and work in a church. And if you know Nina from then and you see what's happening now, you know that heaven, another dimension, has broken into her life. What has happened is only what God can do. And at times we see that dimension break into our life. But we will one day see it in full when heaven and earth come together. And as um, uh, a lady called Julian who lived in Norwich says, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And so the ascension is about this man Jesus entering into God's space. And when he gets there... He sits down, as the writer to the Hebrews wrote, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And when he sits down, it's an indication that his kingdom will never end. And for Jesus to sit down, it doesn't mean uh, that he's finished his work. It doesn't mean that he's tired and that he needs a rest. But basically what it means is that Jesus, as he sits down at the right hand of God the Father, is God the Father's right-hand man and is in charge of the whole world for all time and for all eternity. Now, you might say, well, hang on a minute. I look around, and it doesn't often feel like it. But I think what the ascension tells us and what we know about where Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father intercessing for us is that ultimately, Jesus will have the last word. We can be confident of that. There are many rulers uh, who come and go and think that their words will last forever, but they won't. They think that they might have the last word in a situation, but they won't. Ultimately, Jesus will have the last word. And, and the ascension is a bit like the coronation of a monarch or a king uh, or a queen, a ceremony that makes clear what has already taken place. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was king of kings and lord of lords, and the ascension in some ways is like a coronation. Um, Tom Wright, I'll chuck in a Tom Wright quote here, uh, in a sermon that he did, he said this, the early Christians, like their Jewish contemporaries, saw heaven and earth as the overlapping and interlocking spheres of God's good creation, with the point being that heaven is the control room from which earth is run. It's not 10 Downing Street, it's not the White House, it's not the Kremlin, it's heaven. And so to say that Jesus is now in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, is to say three things. First, is that he is present with his people everywhere. He's no longer confined to one space-time location within earth, and he's certainly not absent. Second, get this, he is now the managing director of this strange show called Earth. Though like many incoming chief executives, he has quite a lot to do to sort it out and turn it around. Third, that he will one day bring heaven and earth together as one, becoming therefore personally present to us once more within God's new creation. And he goes on to say, the Bible doesn't say much about us going to heaven. We often talk about going to heaven, don't we? It says a lot about heaven and particularly heaven's chief inhabitant, Jesus, coming back to earth. 
The ascension is about Jesus being in charge of this strange show called Earth. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, and he is the one who is in charge. But I think a question to ask, though, is how did he get there to that place? And what does that mean for us as his people, the church? How does that impact what we find ourselves in here and now? Um, Basically, God in Jesus becoming king, becoming ultimate authority, wasn't uh, done in a democratic way. There wasn't a vote by a few people to work it out. little quote from Winston Churchill about democracy. He says, democracy is the worst form of government except all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. There you go. You know, Jesus didn't get to be where he is by some kind of vote. It wasn't democracy. But equally, he didn't get to become king by violence and oppression and force, which is often how people get to be in charge. What is happening in the world at this time with Russia and Ukraine? Putin wants to be in charge of the Ukraine. He's not doing it by a democratic process, but he's doing it by violence and force. And actually, uh, when Jesus was around, that was how the Roman Empire kept peace. They call about Pax Romana. How did they keep peace? Well, they crucified people who stood up against them. That's how they kept peace. It was done by violence and oppression and force. But what we find is that Jesus gets to this place to be overall for all time by a life of humility and self-giving love and obedience to God the Father. Basically, hear this, in God's economy, the way up is actually the way down. In a world of dog-eat-dog, where people like to climb the greasy pole, get to the top of the pile, step on other people's heads, go up career ladders, and kind of blatant selfish ambition is played out in boardrooms and reality TV shows and social media, where people like Donald Trump, when he was allowed on Twitter, once said this, show me someone without an ego and I'll show you a loser. Um, Plus he said a lot of other inflammatory things. I do miss him, actually. Um, (laughs) Not that much, eh? Uh, um, You know, basically it is dog-eat-dog and we just basically put other people down. You know, in God's economy, it's completely counter to that. The way up is the way down. And the life of Jesus is incredibly counter-cultural. And and in some ways, what Jesus shows us in how he lives is what it is really to be human. If you want to know what it is to be human, look seriously at the life of Christ. And what we find in Jesus is the normal uh, way of travel in order to get to the top is reversed. And basically what he takes on is a path of self-giving love and sacrificial life. Um, The Apostle Paul talks about in life that we should do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, we should consider others, whoever those others might be, better than ourselves. What should we do? We should look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do you know what? Life isn't all about you. And if you struggle with that, 
Get over it. But in God's economy, the way up is the way down. And actually, we are called, whoever we are, wherever we find ourselves, to be a servant to others. It's to see others shine more than ourselves. It's to be more interested and engaged in other people's stories rather than just telling our own. It's to be more pleased about other people's success than our own success. It's to make it a priority to serve the purpose and the well-being of others, even though they may not deserve it above ourselves. The way up is the way down. Um, I've said this quote before, but some posh chap was giving a dinner, and before he said grace with all these very important people, he said, remember this, the most important person in the room is the one you're sat next to. In other words, don't go on about yourself. I've been to eight weddings this year. Eight. And, uh, uh, and, and often we get invited to reception. Actually, I dropped that in my little wedding talk, you know, just don't remember, you know, just remember the, the most important person is room, in the room is the one you're sat next to. In the hope that that would then, when the guests sit down and have the meal together, because you know you're going to be there for at least four hours, uh, um, is actually, is rather than just to talk on about yourself and yourself and what you do, but it's actually to take an interest in other people. That's part of what it is to be servant-hearted. Not all of it, but part of it. Stop going on about yourself and ask questions about others. That is part of what it is to be human. And I think if as God's people we are to have any kind of ambition whatsoever, it should be to be people capable of the kind of self-sacrificial love that we see in Jesus. You know, our ambition in life should be vessels that overflow with love for others. We should be asking ourselves, and this is a sermon to myself more than anyone else, you know, how is it I can be a blessing to others that I come across? Um, The 16th century reformer, uh, a chap called George Mayer, um, wrote this based on Paul's letter to the Philippians about do nothing out of selfish ambition but consider others better than yourself. He said this. It is kind of ancient language. He says, Since the divine majesty Jesus humbled himself so deeply on account of me, that he became my servant, servant of all of us, how is it that we, pathetic excrement and maggot maggot sacks, are so proud and arrogant? We despise each other, and each one of us yearns to be greater and better than the other. Tell me, what am I and what are you? Are we not dust and ashes taken from the earth that will return again to the earth as we see daily before our eyes? How much more should I, on account of this, hum, of this, humble myself and serve my neighbor since I observe such humility in the highest and divine majesty? You know, in our modern world, we're encouraged to be full of ourselves. It's about our rights and our opinions. But actually, if we are to live what it is to be fully human, we will live life not for ourselves, but for God and for others. It's not all about you. The way up is the way down. And, and what has taken Jesus to sit at the right hand of the Father to become king of the world has been this path of humility and sacrificial love. And it continues to this day. 
we continue to see the self-giving, sacrificial love of Jesus. We see it most clearly within the cross. The, um, uh, I think it's now a bishop called Graham Tomlin. He wrote this about Holy Week and Jesus going to the cross. When we consider Jesus on the first Good Friday, one of the most remarkable things is the focus of his attention. On his way to the cross, he looks at the women who are wailing their grief and says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. He turns to the thief and says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. He looks at the crowds gathered around the base of the cross, brought together by a ghoulish fascination with watching the slow suffering and death of the poor unfortunate victims, and he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. He turns to the few who have faithfully stayed with him through his ordeal, and he tells his disciple John to take care of his mother. This is what it means to be the ultimate servant of others. The attention of Christ is not on himself and his suffering, but it's on those around him, both his friends and his enemies. This is the pattern of the Christian life. And, and this is what we're called to. He goes on to talk about, um, about this, about how we live this out. Uh, he says, it's in the nature of God to seek the good of others before his own, or to put it as simply as the New Testament does, God is love. That means that when we do the most ordinary things for the sake of another, when a parent waits for their teenage child outside a party late at night, anyone ever had that? When a young woman washes an elderly relative, when the chairperson stacks the chairs after a meeting, when a host washes up so that others can enjoy the rest of the evening, when an educated graduate chooses to live in a rough area of a city so that she can be a good neighbor to the homeless refugees and immigrants who live all around. When we do these things, that is when we are at our most godlike. It is, like, it is when we love, when we choose to be the servants of others rather than their masters. And you know, I look at my own life in compared to Christ, and I just know I have such a long way to go. Um, I look at the Blessed Church of England, of which we're a part, and it makes me laugh sometimes, all the pomp and circumstances. And I, I just think, though, that we need to think that we still have a lot to learn from this man, Jesus. I don't think any of us have really nailed it in terms of what it is to be servant-hearted and to love sacrificially. Someone came recently to Trinity and they said, I'd like to join your church. What do I do? And my response is, uh, come to worship and serve the coffee. Good place to start. You know, it's been said that the church is a bit like a helicopter. If you're not careful, you'll get caught up in the rotors. <laughs> but, you know, I would say that if we, if we want to be like Christ, if we want to be fully human, then we need to learn how to serve. What the ascension tells us is that the way up is the way down. And I think we need the power of the Holy Spirit to come on us so that we might love sacrificially and serve with humility. You know, reflecting the one who, because of his ascension, is really in charge of the world. Let me finish with 
uh, another little quote from this guy, Graham Tomlin, about the church. Maybe just shut your eyes as, we, as I read this. The church is intended to be a community where the life of Christ becomes visible. We're called to be small local communities of Christians who are potentially the seedbed of a new world. Places where people learn to lay aside the usual ambitions to create the beginnings of a community of people looking out for each other, where in humility, each one values others above themselves, not looking to their own interests, but the interests of others. If that vision were to be taken seriously in every church or ever small and begin to spread into the local communities surrounding those churches, then a vision of that new world might gradually come into sight as each one becomes a hint, a foretaste to signposts to the future that will one day be. And just as we remain prayerful, I just want to recognize that in this church there are so many people who live that life of humility, of sacrificial love, of servant-heartedness. They have taught me so much. And I thank you. If you're sat here tonight, I thank you. You know who you are. Or maybe you don't. And maybe that's the trick. I don't know. But I'm just so amazed, so amazed by those who give of themselves in the way that Christ gave of himself. Thank you for modeling Christ to us. And so, Father, I pray that as we recognize that Jesus has ascended that he is the one who is over and above all things, that we would remember how he got there, that the way up is the way down, and that you call us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility to consider others better than ourselves. And Father, I pray that in our homes, in our places of work, in our community, in our church life, that we wouldn't think that it's all about me, myself, and I, but actually is about wanting to bless the others in real, genuine ways. Help us, by your Spirit, to model servant-heartedness in the world in which we live and to show the world a better way. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.